friends and friends and I don't know, Frank Lampard, if you're listening. We are back with another super packed episode of Don't Call It Soccer podcast. I'm a little disappointed because none of you have called it soccer in a while, so I haven't been able to yell yet, but we'll see what happens this time with the fantastic panel of Amit Malik. How are you? Doing great. Great to be back. How are you? Excellent. I'm great. I'm really excited about um, all of these just plethora of things that we have to discuss tonight. And Manuveth, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm doing very well. It's a long day today, but um, doing really well. It's going good. Good. One day I'll make you say that whole thing in German, but not today. Preston Rutherington. No, no, not the day. Preston, how are you doing? Doing well. It's been a crazy few days down here in Dallas just trying to figure everything out. It's been crazy, but it's been good. Yes. Um, Preston, we're going to, we're going to jump to that in a second or a couple seconds, but, but let's hold off and, um, maybe get to some, some games and, and the actual sort of goings on on the pitch first. Who, ooh, Amit, let's, let's start with you and me, actually. Um, did you see Chicago versus my New York Red Bulls? I did. And, uh, you know, not the best game from what the fire. What are you fire, talking about? It was great. Okay, fine. From the fire's perspective, it was still it was still a fun one. Uh, the, I think the real highlight of this game was the goal from Nikolic. Even though the the fire lost, Dax McCarty just had an insane bit of footwork to get the assist. He took on like two or three defenders and then passed Nikolic. But you know, the experience of the Red Bulls kind of shown showed through in this one. Yeah, I have to say. I mean, I was at this game and my section shout out to section 120 which was packed with chicago fans um and the majority i think of the stadium was there to see schweinsteiger and mccarty um it was an incredible atmosphere but this was not a a typical home game for the red bulls it was really it was a an interesting environment i think for them for them to play in. And I think you, you could tell at the beginning that they were, that they were feeling it out. Um, however, you know, there's no Bradley Wright Phillips is just a consummate professional and, and he is going, he's, he's going to score wherever he is. I don't think it matters to him whether he's home or away. Um, do you see Dax McCarty and Bastian Schweinsteiger finding any kind of rhythm together, finding a partnership? Yeah, I think this this game showed, you know, they're they're still developing, but one thing that's really great for Schweinsteiger is that McCarty is such a hard worker up and down that he can, you know, kind of put in a lot of hard tackles, act as a defensive shield in front of the back four and then get the ball to Schweinsteiger in space to really make some key passes and set up the offense. And I I think when you have two players that can work, one of them is box to box, the other one who's just one of the best passers in the world still at this point in his career, it's going to be a really good partnership. The thing that's going to be tough is the teams that really want to test Schweinsteiger are going to make him try to defend and bunker in. But he's he's capable of doing that. And I think the more they play together, I think by July or August, they're going to be, you know, one of the best center midfield duos in the league. I also yeah. have men who jump in, yeah. Yeah, because I, it's interesting that you say that because he, Schweinsteiger has said during the week that he only feels he's about at 70% in his fitness you know, one of the arguments that we had on the WhatsApp group was that, you know, that he doesn't run enough. And I'm actually curious to hear that uh, what was your perception in that game from either one of you? 
because I, I saw snippets of the game. There, there was a whole bunch of other things going on that day, so I was only able to glance over and look at the result and uh, watch it piecemeal. And the guys thought of his work rate. He worked pretty hard. You know, he 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 definitely tracks back and is there to defend, but you know, he's he's not as dynamic as he can be. So I'd say seventy percent is about right. I, I'd say that's accurate from his own point of view. I, you know, again, I think this is this is all comparable, and I think that a seventy percent Schweinsteiger, even at you know thirty one years old, is is definitely going to be able to produce more than some other players at one hundred percent. And I had that conversation in the back of my mind as I watched him, and I think what he does that a lot of players still haven't figured out how to do is to pack a lot of talent into fewer movements. So yes, he did, you know, he, he definitely wasn't stagnant. He was running, he was moving, moving, but he made a lot out of fewer passes and fewer runs. So the runs that he made were very successful and the passes that he made were successful. So he didn't really have to traverse that much of the field. Does that make sense? Yeah, I, w- I would agree with that. And, you know, if you look at a few of the other really high profile center midfielders to come into the league from Europe in the last few years, particularly Lampard, Gerrard and Pirlo, he's more fit than either of them were, especially Pirlo, who never really in the latter stages of his career was a mobile uh, player at all. He He's more fit than them. And I think as he becomes more fit, he'll be able to do more than they ever really did. And they also didn't really take the time to to stay in the league and really develop with it. Or at least Pirlo still is now, but. He's still just never never going to be as mobile as Schweinsteiger can be. Yeah, I think this is going to be definitely a great thing to watch Schweinsteiger improve, which I think is the only trajectory that, we, that we're going to see. I can't believe I'm going to say this, but I'm going to do it. Speaking of improving, let's talk about Minnesota. Oh my goodness. Come on, I have to do it. Do I take away my own points for that? Yeah, I, I know. Think you're I'm allowed. sorry. I think you're allowed to do this. <laughs> that was really bad. I was going to go with Orlando, but that just wouldn't be funny. That would be true. Guys, you know what? Let's save Minnesota because that will just go into what Preston's going to talk to us about. I just couldn't, I I, I had to, I had to make it. I just, you know, Um, let's talk about Orlando and Kaka, who I have to tell you, sometimes I forget he's still around, maybe because it feels like he's been playing forever and maybe because it feels like he sold his soul to the devil for like, a baby face and uh, the fact that he never, ever, ever ages. The, both of those things are not true, but you know, you could convince me. I was speaking to a friend about this and she was both shocked that Kaká is still playing and also that Orlando is top of the table because we forget about both of those things, Kaká and Orlando. Is this sort of Orlando's best um, strategy that we just sort of overlook them? <coughs> I think it's good for them as long as people aren't aware of them. But, you know, I think people will find out once everyone gets a chance to play at their new stadium that they're one of the best home sides in the league. Obviously, they're top of the conference, one of the best teams in the league, but they just seem to be so buoyed by playing at home. And, you know, after the events in Orlando last year, I think there's just a special atmosphere going on there with the new stadium that that honeymoon effect is going to last all year long. So teams will eventually figure out that, that's one of the toughest trips you can make. And they just have, you know, more talent that they've ever really had on their roster. And Kyle Laren and Kaká and Rivas just make three deadly attacking players. And they play a fun brand of football. Manu, Emmett, what do you, what do you guys impress and what do you guys think about Orlando's chances overall this year? I Ooh. think this is by far <laughs> been... 
It's just so early. I mean, I know, is, but I'm in to, charge. I get to ask this, you this. I know, but it's it's major league soccer, and Sorry, I, dude. I I think you know it's um the the way that this league is structured, and this is this has been one of my critics biggest criticisms towards this league is that you can have a really slow start to it and still win it. I, I mean, look at Seattle, right? So they may be looking good now, but I I don't think it means very much. You know, let's. I think there's a lot of great things going on and they should be definitely recognized for what they're doing, but let's wait till maybe August, you know, and see where they are then, because you, and I mean, Preston, you probably will echo some of that. It's such the way this league is set up. It's a typical North American phenomena that you um, have a lot of time sort of to play out regular season games and kind of get into a groove, right? And then sort of it all doesn't really matter as long as you make the playoffs. Yeah, I mean, I completely agree with that. I mean, form, uh, I'm sorry, yeah, form doesn't really matter so much. I mean, uh, anything can happen in MLS. That's something that just blows my mind. I mean, I mean, look at the beginning of the season. We were laughing off Minnesota United, but now they've reshaped their defense and they're actually gaining results. Uh, with Orlando specifically, I've got to give a lot of credit to Jason Christ. Uh, he came over, he came and took over Adrian Heath. He did not do well managing that team. And, uh, Christ has done incredible things with Kyle Lawrence, turned him into a bit of a superstar. And granted, I mean, having someone like Kaka on your team is invaluable in a league like this. And to show that Orlando can still get results without Kaka. Uh, that speaks a lot to Jason Kreis and his managing ability. Manu, I'm going to start asking you every week if you think Orlando can win the league. Just be prepared for that one. And speaking <laughs> of Minnesota, this is going to take us, Preston, just just be prepared um, into sort right. of what's been happening. I know you're ready. You've been ready. Uh, what's been happening in the stadiums but off the pitch. So um, somebody give us a little bit of – not background, but sort of recent history. Who can who can tell us what happened with um, Timmy Howard? I think was it was it two weeks ago, three weeks ago? Yeah, well, Tim Howard a couple weeks ago got into a bit of a altercation with some fans of uh, the opposing team. I, I I can't remember who Colorado was playing that game, but uh, Tim Howard approached some fans, essentially just cussed them out after. The fans were cussing at him. Yeah, we're going to use this word cussing a lot, people. So just, you know, be ready for that. <laughs> and because of that, Tim Howard got punished. And he uh, is now currently serving a ban uh, due to his altercation with the opposing fans. Right. So that was sort of thing number number one. Then Minnesota United, I don't think we should call it sanctioned, but their supporters who, who can sort of jump in and, and summarize what happened here which i'm shocked at communism <laughs> yes communism descended upon minnesota but this does seem to be a very cold war res- response this sort of like mccarthy era reaction to a flag yeah. uh, so manu what happened in the wilds of minnesota so uh minnesota united and mls have decided that this is the statement on their Twitter account from the Red Loons. Decided that our logo is not allowed on a banner in the stadium. Our statement on this needless drama. The logo of uh, the Red Loon is a Red Loon with a hammer sticking out. And it's sort of, it looks like uh, a Red Loon, a Loon mixed with a hammer and sickle. 
I guess the, it's a bit of an illusion, bit of an illusion towards the Soviet Union. And um, right, and I, I will tell you that I'm recording this podcast in a Che Guevara pajama top that I've had probably <laughs> since I was nine. That I, if I can twist around, there probably is a hammer and sickle somewhere on there. You know, this is not again. We are not living in during the Red Scare. I well, you don't say that. think exactly. <laughs> And I have been to enough stadiums and seen enough communist, socialist-like um, allusions to be pretty surprised at this reaction, which seems to be at the very, ugh, maybe not least, but seems to sort of be a, a free speech First Amendment issue, I think. What do you guys yeah. have to say about this? Well, the group is left-wing, right? And, and the hammer and sickle is by no means a symbol that I think people sometimes mistake it and they, they turn it into something that is not. It's it's a workers' movement symbol. Right. And, um, Unless I think it's an animal, animal rights issue and the hammer's like pointing at the loon and threatening the poor little ducky. I'm pretty I, I'm sure MS sure. could switch and turn it around into something like that. Right. We all know what it is, Right. And I think it's it's a little disgusting because where do you draw the line? I'm curious, and maybe some of the other guys more familiar with fan culture down in the United States can jump in on this. But what would be the reaction to a Confederate flag? Would MLS react the same way to that? And you know, you guys no, tell me. Not fly. Yeah, the Confederate flag. I'm sure Preston, you could probably speak a little more to it. Would just be reviled they not only would they ban it they'd punish whoever flew it and it'd be like a semi-national news story that's how that's how bad it would would be it's had you know a lot of publicity in the news with state flags that incorporate it so mm-hmm. it i don't think it, it would be the mls would crack down immediately i think this is a little different and i think the the reason why it's weird for the fan culture is if you look at the origins of the the logo you realize that they come from like totally good natured intentions, which is what makes it all the weirder. The Confederate flag, like you can fly it, say whatever you want, but you look at the intentions, obviously historically, there's no real defense for it. Yeah. 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 I think, I think this is, this is definitely, um, it puts it on the same level though, than a Confederate. When you, when you look at the little bit of the history of the red loons, they're very strong anti-fascist, you know, refugees welcome stand. And it seems like that there is, um, you may be not quite that wrong with McCarthy era uh, sentiments, but it seems like, you know, that there is almost almost a movement to stamp that out a little bit. It's very interesting. And I'm, uh, you know, I, Manu, have you seen any response to this tweet or this reaction? Because I haven't seen anything yet. Well, it's interesting because one of the articles underneath uh, that was in the in this tweet thread um, how is from Yahoo, Yahoo Sport, written by uh, Leander Sherlekens, um, who's quite an active writer on the Major League Soccer. His title of the article is How Presidency Created Quite Anti-Fascist Movement in America's Soccer Stadiums. And That's a great he shows, article. He, he shows uh, there's a picture of, you know, the two capos um, standing and, and uh, the anti-fascist logo. And, you know, that's a that's a workers' movement logo as well you know the anti-fascist movement came out of the workers movement and you just you just wonder i don't want to say mls is is a partisan but you wonder where this crap down is coming from and uh what the motivation behind it is 
Preston. Are you ready? Oh, I'm ready. Are you prepared? As prepared as I'll ever be. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Preston, speaking of cussing, speaking of crackdowns, what has been going on in your city, my friend? Oh, my word. So... <laughs> <laughs> Preston, can you give us a good bless my soul? Is that a thing that the Texans do? Uh, not too much. Uh, it's more bless, bless your heart. Bless your heart. Oh, I challenge you to use that at least once in in what you're about to talk about, okay? All right. I'll, I'll see what I can do. Okay, great. Thank you. <laughs> okay, so during the, during the second half of the FC Dallas-Portland Timbers game over the weekend, uh, security was going through uh, the Dallas Beer uh, Garden. Uh, which is the it's the beer garden, which is the home of the supporter section for the Dallas Beer Guardians, and they began asking supporters to leave because they were using foul language. Ultimately, about twenty fans uh, got escorted out. This was done without warning, uh, without any communication between security and with the with the DBG leadership, and it caused it caused some tension. It caused for some impromptu meetings with security. Just uh, yesterday at the time of recording, the club ended up having uh, a town hall meeting with all the supporters groups to discuss uh, the issue with cussing in the stadium and what that could lead to and why, why, these, play- why these fans got uh, asked to leave. And some of, these, uh, some of these fans that did get asked to leave, because of their unwillingness at first, they got issued a 30-day uh, trespassing violation and uh, and they're currently banned from the stadium. Okay, now as far as we know, this uh, cussing, which is the language that that was officially used, yeah, correct. Okay, so they did not specify whether this was you know racist, sexist, homophobic, targeted language. At first, no, go go on. No, no, no. no, no. That's 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 what I you know they they wrote cussing. Correct. Yes, and I was uh, I have a source that I've been speaking to throughout the last couple of days, and uh, now that the Dallas Beer Gardens have given an official statement, he's helped bring some more clarification as to as to what happened. The current rule, the current rules now regarding foul language in the stadium, it it only refers to organized chants. If it's a responsive cuss to like a like a bad foul or a ref not calling something, they allow cussing in that in that way because that's natural uh, for these for these fans. But if it's an organized chant, uh, which I, I know that more than half the chants that they use have foul language in it, that's not that's no longer accessible. And the supporters groups are now they now have to give out flyers beforehand. Uh, asking them not to use foul language and chance, otherwise you'll be asked to leave. The issue, though, is that there's not a definitive line as to what the club considers foul language and what is not considered as foul language. The reasoning behind this is because there has been a crackdown throughout the league to eliminate homophobic, sexist language and vulgar language altogether uh, throughout the throughout the league to to promote to promote more equality. And actually, these these clubs get fined each time that that these supporters groups use foul language and organized chants. Uh, it's just dependent on the club as to whether they will pay the fine up front or if they will. So that way they can keep on using these chants or if they are actually cracking down like FC Dallas is now to eliminate these chants. Have we heard guys from any other clubs so far 
anything like what FC Dallas is doing? Uh, I I don't think so. I think there has been talk about this going on at at other clubs, and um, I, I, you guys can be be ready to jump in any moment and tell me um, I'm wrong. But I think there has been talk about it with the the white caps, but it's more self policed that we try to you know keep the language safe. Swearing, yes, maybe, but you know, uh, in organized chants, maybe not so much, and that's fair. I think there there is a line that needs to be you know you need to stay in a certain line. I think there's a lots of chance that you can make fun of the opposition without using, I'm not saying foul language, but you know, uh, insulting language throughout the game. Like throughout the game, you know, we all probably been in a stadium and uh, use certain words to describe the actions of referees. I think we've all been there. I think any person that ever been to a, a football stadium has experienced that. But I think it's it's really hard to get that part out. As in chance, I think policing it is is maybe the wrong approach. I I think that fan groups are smart enough and grown up enough to understand what's good fun and what isn't. And I I think the whenever the league steps in or the club step in and um try to police it it's 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 not the right way to do it because the the reaction is um ridiculous and it's also um it's it's hurting in a sense and in some ways maybe the growth the natural natural the natural growth of fan culture in the in north america and i think we have actually a very special fan culture going on here it's often down times being sort of looked down upon, but when you go to many stadiums and you go behind goals, they, the culture here is in many ways a lot better than it, for example, is in, in the United Kingdom where there's no fan culture anymore. I think we have to be careful that, you know, we have safe standing here, for example. The United Kingdom doesn't. I, when I go to a game um, in Vancouver, I can drink beer. Um, in the United Kingdom, you can't. So, you know, I think there's we have to be careful that we don't, go down the the English road. It's a, it's it's an argument that's actually made in a lot of other countries in Europe as well because they're all worried that they will go down the English route that fan culture will actually get stamped out and I think um this is this is really the the, the issue at stake here, isn't it? For sure. And uh I'm pulling up the name right now. Uh but uh, about a season or so ago, uh MLS hired this guy named Ray Whitworth and he was he was working for the English FA back during the seventies and eighties, and Uh-oh. his job was <laughs> his job was to uh, get rid of the basically the the hooliganism and the fan culture, and basically this that's essentially the same thing that uh, Whitworth has been not necessarily asked to do because I mean I don't really see a bunch of hooliganism in MLS, but Whitworth's uh, job is to uh, crack down on. Uh, anything that could essentially tarnish MLS's name and is, I, I believe, is taking it to rather the extremes because, I mean, I, I, I see that, I mean, I, I see your point with uh, that there are chants that do have, uh, that don't have cussing that are still good chants. Uh, but, I mean, you're asking all these supporter groups to essentially change what they've been doing for the past decade or so and it's not necessarily regulated. That's that's really mm. my main issue. Is that it's not regulated at all. You're yeah. not going to you're not going to see a big crackdown uh, in places like Portland or Los Angeles or like the big market, uh, the big market uh, cities that had the large supporters groups that 
that makes the league so exciting. You mean you see the the elaborate tifos, the the crazy supporter groups. I mean, I doubt that you're going to see much of that in Orlando now because you have the purple wall there. Not not having the regulation uh, league wide, I, I don't believe that it's. I, I believe that it's counterproductive. Yeah, I think we have run danger in turning into the league into an English plastic product. We don't want that. And I think I think um, it it's it, it would stamp out the culture. And we've all seen how ravaged the the Premier League has gotten. You know, and basically, you can't stand, you can't drink, you can't do anything there anymore. My worst stadium experiences that I've ever had was in all by all in England, and you know, to an extent where you even. Just getting up for a moment and, and and having one word come out of your mouth, you have a steward right in front of you telling you to sit down and behave. I don't think we want this kind of experience here because oh goodness, we that sounds like Broadway. It's yeah, it does, doesn't it? Football, it, the musical. But you know, it's it's basically that's what's what's been happening, and I think if we have to be careful that this doesn't make its way over here because right now the, the fan culture is. You mentioned Portland. Portland is probably one of the best stadium experiences on the planet. And I'm not saying that lightly. I've been to a lot of places around the world. It's hands down one of the best experiences you can have because it's organically grown. It's a relatively old club, you know, and the defense stand, that massive stand that they have behind the goal with the guy cutting off pieces of lumber every time they score a goal. It's remarkable. And it's it's naturally grown. And I know that in, in the Cascadia, there were certain chants that we got rid of because we just looked at the chant and like, this is not politically correct. Do we really need to say that? So we didn't. And, you know, we, we actually got together as fan groups and decided to do it that way. And I think that that is really a growing up process that you say, well, times are changing. Can you make, can you sing, can you sing that chant? One that comes to mind is that uh, she fell over chant, right? And then we have we have a lot of girls in our groups, and we, they always sang along. And at some point on the way back from Portland to Vancouver, one of the girls said, "Well, this chant isn't really appropriate, is it?" And then we said, "No, actually, it's not." And they, we got rid of it. You know, so it's um, I think that is probably the better way of handling things than the police at the police or the league coming and say, "This is how we're going to do it." I think this may be a case of the pendulum swinging too far one way before yeah. it finally evens out a little bit. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. I think it's it's dangerous that well, not dangerous, but that the league is is doing these things without a lot of prior notification. And the other thing that's that's dangerous is that they're not really listening to the fans and and what they want to create a compromise. The example that you mentioned, Manu, was great because it was organically sourced from the fan groups itself, mm. right? And that should be the way to go about it. But you know, when you just tell the supporters groups what to do. And you make these things before they before they know you lead to people getting their IDs taken, which is, you know, how, how did it go from zero to 100 in such a short amount of time? The other thing is reminiscent in the example with Minnesota, too. You know, Minnesota tried to contact the league about what happened and the league didn't listen to them. They said, we can't res- you can't expect us to respond to every issue. And, you know, that's kind of dangerous in creating a culture where they can say whatever they want and the fans have to listen. And I think you're exactly right that it it puts the fan culture at risk, you know, and becoming too sterile with it being left to the discretion of the clubs. Like I, I'll be the first to admit that SC Dallas does not have a good fan base at all. I mean, they're consistently one of the lowest, uh, lowest attended stadiums in the league. And, uh, I know Dallas has roughly five or 6,000 season ticket holders 
which is atrocious for a top flight club. And with them doing something like this, pulling out season ticket holders who are there, who are your faithful fans mm. week in, week out for several years, it's it's going to ruin the the communication line and the the relationship between club and supporter and between clubs and supporters. Yeah, I, I agree. I think this is going to be, you know, another thing to watch and feel out where it's going and see the reactions of the supporters and the supporters groups um, and the players as well. You know, we'll see how the players react to the different atmospheres in the stadium. Guys, Preston, I'm just going to, I'm going to keep the fire on you here a little bit because your reaction to the relegation race in the Liga Mexicana was really the best thing. And I want to give you a chance to use bless your heart again, because you really let me down and I don't want to take all your points away. So uh, Preston, what's going on in the Ligisha? What's happening here? Oh, Pumas, bless <laughs> your heart. Oh, yay! The relegation race literally exploded over the weekend. I don't understand how Veracruz and Morelia are nearly out of the relegation battle now. I Just a couple weeks ago, I said that Veracruz was going to get was the one that was going to go down. And just based off of who they were playing and that, that they're actually getting results out of this, and now that they're third from bottom on the re- on the relegation race, I I've given up on trying to understand Mexican football. I, I give up. <laughs> <laughs> All right, you know what though? You're lucky because we have Manu Veth here. Manu, what's going on? T- tell it to us in in Texan. Meaning you as well have to use bless your heart at least once. So in Texan, break it down for Preston. What's going on at the bottom? Oh, you know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's it's. Um, I, I'm so glad we had Naib on last week that he could um, break this down a little bit for us because I don't know, y'all. This is hot. <laughs> this is uh, some really crazy stuff going on because. We went into this weekend, we all thought, including our specialists who we brought on, that Veracruz will likely lose to Monterey. Didn't happen. They won. Pumas would beat Monarcas. They lost 4-0. <laughs> and the Chappas would not get a result against Santos Laguna. And they did. It was 2-2. Man, that was such <laughs> a nail-biter, that match, because that did not look like it was going to end in a tie. Yeah, but the Veracruz match was um, all of these. These were like they were trying to prove to us that we couldn't that we couldn't guess that there's no point in guessing. Yeah, and it isn't. I mean, this is I think the one thing that Naib brought up, and I think we need to maybe echo this almost every week now. Parody, right? The league has parody. It's um, and I think it's partly because of its the way it's it's structured. And I mean, we say this every week as well, but it's true. And we see it. We see it week in and week out. We'll try, we go in and I write my little previews and, um, you know, I might as well roll dice to guess the results because that's basically what's been going on. It's it's difficult. And it's But it's fun. It's it's great fun. I mean, I watched the Veracruz-Monterey game um, on my cell phone waiting, waiting, uh, ordered food at a restaurant and i was just like this is madness uh what's what's happening here you know and as the time was clicking down i was thinking like you know what they're gonna win this game and then they did and it looked 
it looked like going into Saturday that that would be a massive three points. And it, 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 to some extent it was, but then Monarchas happened. And did Monarchas look like a team that played against relegation all, all season? Not at all, eh? I mean, 4-0, that was, it just blew Pumas out of the water. And it was just incredible what was going on. I mean, anyone who's seen this game would have not thought that Monarchus was the, was the team actually playing against relegation. And I mean, I have to I have to say this again. There are only one point of Chiapas in that relegation setup. But <laughs> you look at the, the playoff race, they're currently ninth. And they're only one point behind Tigres in, in, the, in the playoff race. So basically, they have to win the weekend to keep up, keep up their hope for the Liguela, but they also have to win in order not to get relegated. How crazy is this? Preston, this is all kinds of crazy. I'm going to ask you first, again, about your, your freaking Pumas, as you called them, but specifically about a player that we've, we've all spoken about um, in depth, Nico Castillo, um, who surprised us and maybe not in the way that you were expecting. So, God, Pumas, they were awful this last weekend. Not having Nico Castillo, their top goal scorer, that really did a lot of damage to them. But, I mean, to be fair, your team shouldn't be surrounded by one player, especially if he's a striker. That still doesn't excuse the fact that they conceded four goals against a team that is fighting relegation. Granted, that probably gave them a lot more drive to to bring out the best in them, but... Pumas is generally a very good team. Looking at the table right now, Pumas has 18 points. If you look at their past seasons, you're looking uh, at 27, 35 points, 24. This is this is a very unique Pumas that has struggled throughout this season, and this is something that they're going to need to look at looking into the apertura of next year because this is this is not a normal Pumas that they're a team that normally fights in the playoff race. Yeah, and we thought that's where they would be, right? Remember, they were they were the team of the hour in the early starts when we when we when we started doing Mexican football. They were pretty much all out the way they were playing, and uh, Castillo had eight goals early on, and then you know he picked up that injury on national team duty, and he has never really been the same. And um, he completely lost it in the in last weekend when he when he was sent off probably did his team a massive disservice because they're now eliminated from, from the playoffs, which will probably end up in some soul-searching, I guess, at that club because given where they saw themselves and given where they projected themselves to be and where they ended up being, I think it's something that they can't be that happy about. The, the, you know, the university that owns the team will probably restructure and uh, it'd be interesting that what will happen to uh, Palencia, the head coach, if he's going to be able to stay on. Because, you know, his idea is, is amazing. I, I, I'm a big fan of his football philosophy, but something wasn't right. And, I mean, we, we all applauded them for their wide open attacking play. But somewhere along those lines, that team forgot how to defend. And I think that's something when they, when they look at this half season, that's something that they're going to have to revisit. And maybe just learn um, how to be better and how to be more structured. Manu, looking at, at the bottom, is it a surprise to you Chiapas' position down there? You 
noted before that you you think that and you I know you don't like predicting things, but you mm. called this prediction first. So yes, fair to ask you that that whether you think Chiapas will go down, and is that a surprise? I'll stick to that. Actually, I think Chiapas will go down, and I'm um, I believe they will go down because they there seems to be a lot of trouble at that club. They be there was a lot of fan protests following the game against Santos Laguna. Fans invading the pitch. Uh, retweeted a, a, a picture, a short video that was um, done by a local news agency in down in Chiapas, and uh, it showed them storming the field. And there seems to be, which was a surprise uh, considering that Chiapas opened the scoring in the second minute with a really yeah. beautiful series, um, and then yeah. tied it pretty late but about two minutes after Santos took the lead so I think in the fans you know for me this was this was Chiapas's victory if you were looking at it you know if a, if a tie can go in anybody's favor this was mm. in Chiapas but they needed favor. to win this game they right because of the game, yes. because of the results I mean I, you're right yeah. 2-2 against a team that's going to be in the playoffs and Santos Laguna we've spoken about them they could be one of those teams that could surprise us but I think that given the results that happened elsewhere, like no one would have predicted that both Monacas and Veracruz would pick up three points given who they were playing this weekend, but they did. And, you know, when you when you look at who who they're going who's going to play who next weekend, I mean, yes, Monacas are playing Monterey. We've we've learned the hard way that that doesn't necessarily mean that Monacas are gonna lose. And Veracruz are playing Tijuana. I saw Tijuana. That was actually um, the game of the week. I picked that one, and they were completely steamrolled by Tigers, who were awful for most of this upper tour, right? And we don't know what's going to happen. We have to remember too that th- those two teams are now in a unique position that a win could actually not only get see them being safe, but it could also mean that they're going to make the playoffs. And Veracruz only needs one point to be safe, right? Because they they are. Uh, they are two points ahead. Um, so it's it, it's it's um, the point that Chiapas earned was maybe not enough because I think that given what happened last weekend and given given the ties as they're lining up this weekend, it's it's going to be very hard for Chiapas to stay up. Especially, you know, I want to add this. Um, I read an excellent article today by Tom Marshall. Um, on ESPN, on on Atlas, and how they are one of the biggest surprise packages of the league. And he's right; they completely flew under everyone's radar, and they they are smacked right into that playoffs playoff race. And they, you know, Atlas could finish the the regular season in first place with a win, and they probably wanted to want to because you know then you face the eighth place team of the regular season, which gives you an easier route to the next round, at least on paper. So, you know, I think given how everything is lining up, I think that Chappas are going to go down. Although, as we've seen and said, we never know. Finally, we spoke a while ago about an incident on the pitch earlier. When when did this happen? Um, remind us about, about when and what happened, Manu, with um, Aguilar and Triberio and the subsequent suspensions. And then I'll ask you what happened this weekend. <laughs> yeah. So remember when I was down in Mexico and uh, we did this semi-live part from Cobra MX and the that that round of Cobra MX games was saw a whole bunch of incidents that 
in, involved um, among others Club Americas Pablo Aguilar and uh, Toluca's Enrico Rivero and both of them were guilty in one way or another to assault the referee on the pitch now the um which in FMF, their own ways led to the the subsequent referee yes, strike the referee strike which felt like the the punishment wasn't enough exactly the original punishment was uh, eight and ten games, I believe, right? Uh, eight for Aguilar, ten for Triviero. Right. And and the the referees' union said, the referees' association said, well, look, in the rule book, it actually says that this kind of behavior should be an automatic one year suspension, and that the Football Federation of Mexico, the FMM, FMF, did not follow their own rule book. So the the referees were very upset about this, and they decided to strike on match day ten of the Clausura. And remember, we had Naib actually was kind enough to to speak to us about this. So if you want more background information on this, there is a, there's a special pod just devoted to the referee strike on the World Football Index. Um, so for background, go go listen to that. But in, in a nutshell, this was basically the the referees. The, the football federation in an epic clash that has been going on for quite some time because the referees don't feel that they get the respect that they deserve. And in a lot of ways, they're right. And the owners believe that, well, they can do whatever they want because they're rich and powerful, right? So and the, the referees decide to strike in order to show that they are important. And the strike worked because the, the FMF went back and turned the suspensions into one-year suspensions. Now, the owners... In this particular case, it's 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 Club America, you know, because they have the biggest, most powerful owner there is. Um, it's a massive television conglomerate down in Mexico, and you know, they they own Univision and all these television stations, and they have a massive amount of say, not just in Mexico but also Mexican politics. And they went to the the, the CAS, so the uh, Court of Arbitration in Sports. Um, which sits in in Switzerland, and they said argued that this rule wasn't just. They were give, they were said they, the court said that they were right and overturned this this ruling by the FMF that this 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 particular rule that that uh, players have to be banned for one year. So um, Aguilar and Triviero will now be available in the Liguilla should the clubs get that far. The what I've seen yesterday is that the referees association has come out with a statement. Um, saying that they're going to respect the decision, but at the same time, when you when you actually read the statements, it's on Twitter, it's on their page, you you clearly can read between the lines that they're not happy with this. And um, I'm just curious. I, I think this will not have an instant impact because the referees don't have anything um, they can do about this. The CAS is literally the highest court in sports. But I'm I'm curious to see what will happen the next time there is any kind of controversy that involves the referees. You know, given the way they feel treated and the way they feel that they, you know, been over overruled again here, and uh, the fact that the owners basically went over their head to overturn this, I think we will probably revisit this uh, in one way or another in the future. What could the possible implications be for the referees here? Well, I think you know, there's a lot of criticism. Uh, in in Mexico and I mean in general the, against referees that they are not up to the standard that they that the decisions are not always right and I think this will probably undermine their authority 
to a certain extent because they put down their foot, they striked and they got what they wanted and then it was taken away from them. And remember when 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 we discussed this issue, there was other referee associations around the world that came out in support for them. And basically the CAS has now pulled out the carpet underneath their feet. And I think, I mean, I've, I've been watching closely since this round 10 in, in Mexican football and been sort of seeing whether there is clashes involving players. And I think it's gotten better, although, you know, it's it's hard by just looking to to make a study out of this, but I think it's gotten better. I'm curious to see how this will change um, now going into the Liguela, especially this match day, which is going to be extremely heated. Um, how does the, the relationship between players and referees will change? Because players no longer have to fear this one one year suspension if there is an altercation between them and the referees. Yeah, this is uh, Preston. Go ahead. What do you think about this? I was going to say. I mean, I have to agree that we're definitely not going to see the end of it. Uh, if anything, I it, it very well could just be the start because the next time that that there will be some sort of altercation to that level, they're going to strike again because we know that. I mean, we've seen what's happened before that the that they're not going to go through the ban until the referees have to make a point, and if they have to do it again, then. They're, they very well may be upholding the ban for future, like in future issues, because they're hopefully the the court arbitration sport would understand that that this is a legitimate issue that these referees face. That 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 the referees do have a need to be worried whenever 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 they're on the pitch. All right, guys. Um, I will not ask you if Orlando is going to win the league. I will save that for next week. Um, mm-hmm. I will ask you um, some things that you are looking forward to or perhaps um, anticipating in the coming weeks um, in the ne- in these two leagues. Preston. Uh, you know, I am looking at the schedule for uh, this upcoming weekend for MLS, and we have a nice little rematch of the MLS Cup final with Seattle Sounders and Toronto FC. Uh, that is this Saturday. Uh, I'm going to make that sort of my impromptu game of the week. Uh, I feel like that there may be some uh, bad blood between the two teams. I think it should be a very exciting game. You get ready for my Nico Lolito. He's uh, on fire. All right, nice. Not Chicago fire because he's from... <laughs> Seattle. Okay, that wasn't going to work. Well, whatever. We'll pretend that was really smart. Um, okay, Manu, what you got? Yeah, I mean, the, the big focus this weekend really is on Mexico, isn't it? Um, I, I wrote an article on this and outlined, trying to outline all the different scenarios and how it could go. Um, there's two Liguela spots still available as the seventh and eighth spot is currently occupied by Club America and Tigres, which, you know, also two of the biggest teams. And they're closely followed by a pack uh, of Morelia, Pachuca, Veracruz, uh, Leon, Nicaja can technically st- still make it, although I, I think they, they're pretty much out of it. I think it's it's going to be between America, or, you know, Tigres, Morelia, Pachuca, and Veracruz. And of course, um, of those five teams, two could get relegated. And <laughs> that will that's just uh, the craziness of it all. And uh, I, I'm really curious to see how it all turns out. And um, the other thing I'm curious about it in in this league, you know, we've, we've discussed the the remaining spots and we were discussed it at the relegation battle. If Monterey win and Tigres sneak into the Liguela but remain on eighth spot, we could have 
a Monterey Derby in the first round of the playoffs. How crazy would that be? I mean, it would be monumental. So a part of me really hopes hopes for that because I think it'd be amazing to see those two go at each other really early on. Um, I anticipate all of that plus you pronouncing all of these words in your German-Canadian accent. Um, Mm. (laughs) Preston, where can we find you on the internet? Yeah, you can give me a follow on Twitter at pdub116. Uh, you'll find uh, this show as well as my other show, SCD Talk, along with uh, some of the writing I do for Big D Soccer. Uh, this show and uh, SCD Talk will also be on all in Sports Talk, the the sports the soccer radio station that I run. Uh, you can follow them at All in Sports Talk. Excellent, Manu. Where can we find you on the internet? Yeah, so uh, Preston, I know you stumbled over this one. I did change my Twitter handle. It's just at Manuel Beth. Very simple. First and last name spelled together. So yeah, you can follow me there. I do a whole bunch of things. I'm my my day job is with Bundesliga.com. I run their social media team. Um, I, I'm on their social media team. I don't run it. There's a big a lot of people that run it. It's impossible for one person to run it. Um, but I also run the Football Grad Network, so you can find all those articles at Football Grad Live. And of course, you know, all these amazing shows that we have on the World Football Index. Um, Jesse, you mentioned that we have everything covered, really, from South America to Germany to England to. There was an Israel pod the uh, other day that there was an, took me from no, my, was, my apartment to work really nicely. <laughs> Um, and I'm on it. <laughs> it was fascinating. And Raphael Geller is one of my favorite journalists to follow. So I was really excited to hear him. We were very happy to have him on. Yeah, it, so you know, it's... it's Tons of stuff great, on the World yeah. Index. So please go support it. Listen to all the parts. Make sure to give that a follow and uh, support it in any way you can. And that's at World Football Index. And also, I don't really understand the difference. So I get them on my podcast app. However, you also get them on SoundCloud. Or on iTunes. Yes, right. iTunes, SoundCloud. iTunes is the way I go with it. But if you're not of the Apple world, go to SoundCloud. I just think you should ask your nearest technologically inclined friend or family member to help you with that. That's what I do. And it helps. And then you should tweet at us and let us know what you think. And maybe we'll talk about it on our next Don't Call It Soccer podcast. Bless your heart. We will see you next time. Vaya